Dear Lord, thank you so much for bringing us here today to study from your word, to learn from it, to learn about you, to learn about trusting you, to learn about building one another up, to persevere uh, through the wilderness. Lord, would you just bring your word alive to us, even now, yet again, even though we've already been studying for an hour. Lord, would you just use me to help uh, just cement some things in this passage. Help me get out of the way. Help me to trust you to speak. Lord, teach us your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we left David in a heap of trouble last week, right? Um, We saw after his defeat of Goliath that Saul just really begins to go downhill and his his hatred for David, his fear of David, his mistrust of David just increases, right? And his awareness of the Lord, if he ever had any, is just getting worse and worse to the point where he tries to kill David. He even tries to kill his own son who's protecting David. And then eventually it just gets to the point where it is certain that Saul is going to try to take David's life. And so Jonathan helps him to flee. David, we don't know how old he is at this point, but he's probably a young guy, right? And even though he's taking care of sheep by killing bears and lions that have tried to attack his sheep, He's scared. He's a frail, weak, fallen man, just like we are. And he runs in fear. First place he thinks of to go is a city that's just a couple of miles away, actually. Nob or Nob, depending on if you want to say Job or Job, I guess. um, This, at this point, is where... The tabernacle is probably commentators seem to think that um, at some point after that skirmish with the um, with the Philistines when the ark was taken at some point after that Shiloh was probably destroyed and they had to reset up the tabernacle and this is the city that they that they chose so the tabernacle is there with the high priest the priests and the ark and the ephod, right, is there. And at some point, Goliath's sword ended up there. And David knew this, right? So he thought, okay, I'll flee to the tabernacle, right? And perhaps, you know, instead of seeking guidance there, there's no word that he did that at that point. Instead of maybe calling Jonathan to come be with him and give him godly counsel, he lies. He lies. He makes up a story. This isn't the first time that David has done this. Do you remember? There was another time in the past lesson where 
he was afraid, right? And he told Jonathan to tell his dad that, oh, yeah, my family's having a, 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 a sacrifice and I've got to go and be with them, right? That was a lie, right? And he's doing it again because he's afraid. And he doesn't seem to be seeking the Lord's guidance and he doesn't seem to be trusting. So we're going we're gonna to see over this, uh, these three chapters, this pericope, if you will, which is that fancy Greek term meaning a segment or a section that kind of hangs together. So if you want to take notes, I just have not been good lately, sorry, about giving you an outline. So if you want to take an outline down, this is kind of what we're doing. We're going to see how the Lord provides for his king in desperate situations. And we're going to see how that king provides for his people in desperate situations. Then we're going to see the anti-king, the anti-Messiah, the anti-Christ who kills his people even when all is well. And then again, we turn back to the king providing for his people and then the Lord providing for his king. So you can kind of see the chiastic set up there. And what I want us to do as I get to these psalms in these sections, I just I want us to hear from the Lord. I want us to hear what the Lord is doing in David, how David responds to his trials because these are lessons for us. So when you come up, don't let me forget. I'm going to I'll try to remember to to point to you. Okay. So David runs to the tabernacle, to Ahimelech. He's apparently the current high priest. His brother, Ahijah, or however you want to say that, is currently advising Saul, right? And so David gets there. Ahimelech is probably a little suspicious because he knows who David is. And David has either come alone or he might have had a few with him. Don't really know for sure. But so he comes out trembling because he's suspicious. Why? Why is David, the king's son-in-law, the head of his bodyguard, why is he alone? What is going on? Right? And David, knowing that Ahimelech's brother advises Saul, is probably, you know, fearful there and suspicious. Can I trust this guy? Right? And so he he lies out of out of his fear. But then he seeks provision. The only provision there, of course, is the, the bread of the presence, the holy bread that is there intended to be a symbol of the Lord's provision for the Israelites in the wilderness, the provision of the manna, the daily provision, and the, and the, uh, the quail and the water, always providing. God's always providing. And that bread represents that one big loaf, apparently, for each of the 12 tribes. And... It was for the priests. Every week is to be, was to be changed on the Sabbath, and the priests were to eat it. But Ahimelech recognizes this is David, and he is in need. He is, for some reason, he's, he's on his own and scared, and I need to have compassion on him and provide for him. And then you probably talked about the fact that, that Jesus refers to this very passage on it happens to be a Sabbath, one of those Sabbath incidents, right? We don't know for sure that it was the Sabbath 
in this particular instance, but um, Jesus uses it to show that the law has limits, if you will. It has certain it has a certain intent, and Jesus is showing a kind of a deeper intent here. Um, the Sabbath had to be broken by the priests, he, Jesus explains, on, on occasions anyway. Um, they, they, uh, they had to circumcise babies on the eighth day, and, and other things had to happen, right? And it might, might have occurred on the Sabbath. So anyway, David is provided for. That's one of, the, one of God's provisions, right? And then he says, oh, what about, what about Goliath's sword? I need some protection, so again, he's not thinking about the Lord who helped him with the bears and the lions and the slingshot. He's afraid, and he asks for the sword. Oh, yeah, it's right here behind the ephod, and now I'm going to go. So he didn't apparently ask the priest to consult God with him, for him. He, just, he got the sword and took off. Right? And then what does he do? Oh, oh, but I like the, I like the, uh, and then, you know, then there's that little verse there. And here is Doeg the Edomite, the shepherd, you know, the head shepherd guy of Saul, right? Detained by the Lord, right? And then, oh yeah, what about, what about um, Goliath's sword, right? Of course you took note of that. I mean, that's really important. Because that little detained by the Lord, that is our clue that the Lord is at work here in the background, even though he's not really an active participant at this point. He's, he's working. He has the guy there for a reason, because he's working out his plan to destroy the house of Eli for dishonoring him. Right? Um, so anyway... So then he flees. Gath is about 30 miles away, probably. Takes him probably a couple of days to get there, I would guess, right? Who knows, what in the world is he thinking? Oh, they're not going to recognize me, <laughs> right? Maybe um, Akish, and I think in the psalm it refers to him as Abimelech, right? Maybe he will uh, hire me as like a second lieutenant or something like that. You know, because I'm a I, I'm a war warrior. I've been fighting the Philistines and and this and that. And <laughs> so they they arrest him. He gets arrested, right? And he's in their custody. And it gets reported to the king that he that that he's he's there. And they're like, isn't this the guy though that you know Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands or whatnot, <laughs> right? And David finds out about this, and of course he's paranoid. Oh my gosh, I've been had. They know me. They know who I am. Right? This plan hasn't gone well. And so he feigns insanity and he, you know, spittle down his beard and all of that. He's humiliating himself. Right? But nevertheless, God protects him and causes the man's heart to, I guess, be compassionate and says, all right, get, just get rid of this guy. I don't, I don't need another insane person in my kingdom. And then he goes back into the land of Judah, right, and hides. So, some warnings here. 
from Nob and Gath. This is from uh, Richard Phillips, his commentary. Our unbelieving sins have real consequences. We're going to see that David is acting in fear, not seeking the Lord at this point. And it's going to lead to some horrible consequences. Any believer, though, can become backslidden by giving ear to the counsel of fear, unbelief, and self-pity. Even David, even us. Any of us can fall, and we can fall far and fast. Even very godly people struggle with doubts, fears, resentments, and broken hearts. But David is learning. God has sent him into this wilderness for a reason, to train him. And so he's learning. Psalm 34, who's got that, Charlotte? Would you read that, please? Speak out, so I don't know if it'll pick, pick up on the microphone or not, but... That is lowest point. David turned to the Lord, right? And he heard his cry. Uh, Kim, 56, thanks. Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me. All day long an attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample on me all day long, for many attack me proudly. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? All day long they injure my cause. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They stir up strife, they lurk, they watch my steps, as they have waited for my life. For their crime will they escape? In wrath cast down the peoples, O God. You have kept count of my tossings, put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? (coughs) Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know, that God is for me. 
In God, whose word I praise, in the Lord, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thank offerings to you. For you have delivered my soul from death, yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. Amen. So God provides for his people in all their needs. He protects his people in danger. He teaches through trials. And he has pity toward those who belong to him. All right. Thank you, ladies, for for reading. All right. So now David is in apparently a rough part of the land of Judah in the mountains and the in the forests. And he's hiding. It's about halfway between Gath and Bethlehem. And somehow or other, this is why I think there are probably at least some guys with him. Word gets out where he is. I don't know how it stays away from Saul, but that is the Lord's protection. But David's family, who senses themselves to be in danger because he's their son, come to him. And all the others who are maybe embittered against Saul, right, and in desperate need, they all get word and they flee to David to be with him. So that the crowd reaches 400, right, plus David's, David's family. And um, look what he, he does. He, the king future kings well he's been anointed but he hasn't been actually installed officially yet right he's providing for his people right he's taking care of the men who come to him and the women and then he realizes that it is dangerous for his family right so he thinks of his family and what does he do he travels all the way across the country and goes into the land of moab and of course, Kay in the, in the study reminds us of the fact that David has Moabite blood in him. His great-grandmother has roots there, is from there. And somehow or other, David was able to use that fact that he has Moabite blood to convince the king there to take care of his family, Right? Look what God has done. Over two or three generations ago, he began to prepare for the provision of David's family. Right? By the way, the, um, the incident or the, um, the, the curse against Eli and his family was also about 40 to 50 years before this. So we see God working over, over time, way in advance, in his timing, slowly. Right. All right. Um, the kind of people that come to this king, right, are the kind of people that the Lord esteems. Right, the weak. Right, not the self-sufficient, but the but the dependent. Right, those who are needy and know it. Right, David's greater son Jesus spent time with the likes of those people, tax gatherers and gatherers and sinners, right? 
And then Paul writes to the Corinthians, you know, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth, right? Just like us, right? So then just kind of, we're going to kind of do these at the same time here. This quick section here where, again, the king provides for his people is when after the family, all the priests are, are slain except for the one, the one Abiathar is able to escape and he runs to David knowing that he can trust David and David will protect him. So again, God's king is providing protection, safety, right, for his people. So I just kind of sandwich them in there. All right, and so at this point, we're going to read 57, Kara. Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge, till the storms of destruction pass by. I cry out to most, to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts, the children of man whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp as swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Thank you. All right. David's view of God is getting bigger and bigger. And his trust is deepening. It's more and more solid. On the other hand, Saul is getting deeper and deeper into the pit, right? Saul should be battling the Philistines, but he is at home wallowing in self-pity with his spear in his hand. How many times have we read that? He has his spear in his hand, right, all the time. And now he's starting to you know, speak out to his tribesmen, why aren't you protected? Why didn't anybody tell me that my son is in cahoots with the son of Jesse? By the way, that's a derogatory. That's like calling, you know, us calling each other by our last name or something. It was sort of derogatory, right? Um, why hasn't anybody told me that he's, you know, that he wants to come after me and this, and he's full of self-pity, Right, and they—he's making up in his head. He's getting more and more paranoid about what's going on, and 
nobody will say anything to him because he's just he's alienating them right but who's on the scene again right Doeg's detention is over whatever detained him he's back with Saul everybody else is silent and he says oh well I saw David when I was there in uh, Nob right and that priest there he gave David guidance and then he gave him provisions right and of course this enrages Saul and he calls for them and I don't know what this guy is thinking. Maybe he's thinking, oh, I'm being summoned by the king, right? Because he doesn't really realize that David has deceived him. So I thought, okay, let's all go. So he takes everybody in his family, apparently a big retinue, right? And they all show up and he gets interrogated and he tells the truth. But Saul perceives this truth as treason, and notice he has no qualms about ordering the complete destruction of this family of priests, God's anointed, right? He wouldn't kill the Canaanites that God had commanded him to kill, the Amalekites, right? This irony was brought out, I think, in the lesson, right? They didn't kill everybody. They didn't kill the king. They, didn't, they saved the animals. They didn't kill everybody. And then he makes excuses for his disobedience to Samuel, right? And now he has no qualms about asking for the murder, the slaughter of God's anointed priests, right? His own people know, you can't do that, right? And so they say nothing and do nothing. But old Doeg, hey, I'll get in the king's favor, and who knows how he might reward me, so I'll do it. And he slaughters not only those who've come, but he goes to the town and slaughters every living soul. Only one escapes. And he flees to David with that ephod that he now has. All right? Antichrists appear throughout Scripture. All right? They prefigure the full embodiment of evil that's to come. A premier characteristic of the Antichrist figure is that he opposes. He enter, opposes God, enters into conflict with God and his people, and seeks to crush God's people. All right? So this is Saul. This is what he's become. All right? Now, I want to be sure to point out that Saul and Doag are completely to blame and are completely responsible for what they've done. But they have only worked out the Lord's will. The Lord's will will be done regardless, right? They're trying to oppose God and they are submitted to doing His will anyway, right? Even in the sorrow and the suffering, the pain, the agony, the destruction, victory is going to be certain. We can, that's something else that, that we can hang on to. Saul joins an infamous company, Pharaoh, who tried to destroy all the Hebrew baby boys. Balak, who tried to curse the people of Israel and destroy Abraham's seed. Jezebel, who tried to exterminate all of God's prophets. Athaliah, 
who almost wiped out all of David's seed. Haman tried to destroy all the Jews in Esther's time. And then Daniel 8 talks about Antiochus Epiphanes, who goes into the temple and desecrates the, the temple. Saul has joined this company. He's nothing left but raw power. He's riddled with insecurities. He's rejected by his family. He has no word from the Lord to guide or counsel him. Right? Sin and alienation. This reminds us of like Romans 1, where God gives them over to a depraved mind, those who refuse to listen to the Lord's word, to acknowledge him, to be submitted to him. All right. Um, all right. We're running out of time, of course. All right. We're, we'll just we'll just skip we'll just skip fifty two here. I want to be sure. Um, let's see. Let's go to um, like twenty twenty three here. So David gets word now. He's still hiding out, of course, in the wilderness and. He gets word that the city of Kila has been threatened. Saul is worried about his own self, not worried about his people, should be out fighting the Philistines, and he isn't. Word gets to David. David goes, having consulted God, having sought his guidance. He's got Gad now, the prophet Gad has somehow or other aligned himself with David, and now Abiathar has come with the ephod. And so David now is seeking the guidance of the Lord. He gets the word, yes, go save this town, right? And he, he does. They're, they're victorious. God promises victory. But then David, is, he's afraid that um, he does, he's not sure what's going to happen. Maybe he's gotten word, I guess, that these people could deceive him and deliver him over, right? And he doesn't want to, he doesn't want to subject these people to the wrath of Saul, Right, and so he seeks. What should we do now? Are they going to Are they going to hand us over? Right, if Saul finds out, and yep, he, they 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 will. You need to get out of here. Right, and so they they flee again back into the wilderness, and then it's just a, it's just a back and forth. Right, um, he, they keep running from Saul. Apparently, Saul's intelligence must be getting better and better, and it says that the Lord just did not give David into his hands. But at one point, um, the, that, the town of Zif, the Ziphites, they, the Judites, these are David's tribesmen, right? They, they betray him to Saul, right? And that's how, um, uh, well, anyway, don't forget, I don't want to forget Jonathan. Again, David is it at a low point, right? Word gets to his friend Jonathan that he is needed, right? And Jonathan comes. And he encourages David in the Lord, reminds him of his purpose, of his anointing, right? And that strengthens, that strengthens David. Um, oh, darn, good, good psalms here, but oh well. All right, true friendship, true friendship. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, Paul says that we are called to encourage one another and to build one another up. We are true friends for one another. As Jonathan was a true friend to David, and of course, 
Our Lord Jesus is our truest friend, right? So quick, um, quick application here. There are kings who promise much but end up killing. Jesus said the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, right? Any opposition to the Lord's rule could be a person could be an institution, could be a world view, right? We need to be aware, right? So there are lessons for us here about giving loyalty to earthly kings rather than to God's true king, right? We may be attracted by power or prosperity or position, but their rule is insecure, unsuccessful, and results in the death of their subjects. There's only one king who can be trusted, who rules justly and selflessly. Right? And then we see the king who was opposed and protected. Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and might have it abundantly. Right? The, the second half of that verse there in John 10. Right? God sent David into the wilderness to teach him dependence, trust, perseverance. And then that motley crew gathered around him and he learned to be a stronger leader, all right? To build, I guess, out of non-warriors, warriors who could fight with him, for him, all right? So the greater son of David was driven into the wilderness and tried and tested In Hebrews 2, 17 and 18, it says that he was perfected through the things that he suffered, right? That, again, is a message for us, right? And then we see the followers who recognize their own weakness and join the life of suffering. David received all who came to him, apparently, Jesus receives those who recognize their need of him. Weak, frail, fallen, embittered, indebted, hopeless, afraid. Jesus is looking for those who will deny themselves and follow him through the wilderness. We can rest assured that like David, he will provide for us and protect us. He will destroy all of our enemies, including the final ones, sin and death, right? And he will bring us into the fullness of his kingdom. Just because it's so awesome, I want to read Revelation 7, 9 and 10. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All of our enemies will be destroyed. Everything that we need will be provided for forever and ever and ever by our great King, the Son of David. Let's pray. (sighs) 
Father, thank you for the story, the great story, for all of the characters that you used, all of the frail, broken people who are just like us. Thank you for showing us the story that points to your greater son, David, who will one day defeat all of your enemies. It's already begun. He already came and entered in and initiated his kingdom. And he willingly went all the way to the cross and he rose from the grave to prove that he is your anointed king. And he sent his spirit who now indwells each and every one of us so that we in the wilderness can be taught and strengthened by your grace to turn to you, to not cling to our fears, but to cling to hope to trust in you, to know that you are trustworthy. You are our rock. You are our fortress. We can completely depend upon you through all of our days, through all of this wilderness. And we can be assured that we will be with you forever when you restore all things and make all things new and put to End all of your enemies, sin and death included. Lord, would you be with us the rest of this week? Would you remind us of these psalms especially and teach us as we go through each day the trials that you bring into our lives. Bring us back together to worship together on Sunday. Through Christ our Lord, amen.